Thank you for listening to the Collective Church Podcast. Collective is a church for the rest of us, which means if you have never been to church, walked away from the church, or are struggling to find a church you connect with, you belong here. Right now, Collective is fully online, so if you like the podcast, make sure to check us out on Facebook at My Collective Church on Sunday mornings at 9.25 a.m. for Collective Online. We would love for you to join us. A lot of big things are going on at Collective, so make sure not to miss a week this fall as we will be sharing about how God is moving in our church and what is next for Collective. Now, let's get into today's message. It's the week before Halloween, and we are just a few days away from our candy crawl. On October 31st from 4 to 7 p.m., we would love for you to stop by Collective Church's space and enjoy a safe and fun night of trick-or-treating and fun Halloween things. Also, make sure you're inviting your neighbors and your friends and your coworkers because a lot of communities will not be doing anything on October 31st, and this event is a great way for kids to dress up, have fun, and enjoy an evening of joy in the middle of this really tough season. All the while, you will have the peace of mind knowing that each group handing out candy has prepackaged them in order to eliminate touch points. It's going to be great. We hope to see you there. Make sure to check out the Facebook event for more details. Today, we're finishing up our sermon series called I Believe in Monsters. And we've spent the last three weeks talking about relational vampires in our life. Now, vampires suck your blood, but relational vampires suck the life out of you. And this series has been a lot of fun with ridiculous bumper videos that our team has created each week. But my real hope is that this series has been just as challenging for you as it has been for me. Because I've realized while writing sermons and listening to Maggie a few weeks ago, I need to be better at loving the difficult people in my life. And as we close out this series today, I wanna talk about a particular type of person that we love and God loves, but they can be really difficult to deal with. I wanna talk about how we love and treat people who are hypocrites. Now, hypocrites are everywhere. Hypocrisy is everywhere. You can't turn on the TV without seeing it and hearing about it in political ads, news stories, whatever. But I wanna specifically talk about the number one complaint that non-Christians have about Christians, that they, Christians, are a bunch of hypocrites. So today we're talking about how do we love hypocritical Christians. Now, if you aren't a follower of Jesus and you're watching right now, my hope is that today is a breath of fresh air for you because you will see that Jesus also gets frustrated by Christians who are hypocrites. And you have more in common with Jesus than you probably realize. Let's talk about the word hypocrite. This was a word that was around well before Jesus' time, but Jesus is actually the first known person to use it in the way that we use it today. Previously, the word hypocrite meant stage actors or one who wears a mask. You see, in Greek plays, they didn't have enough actors for all the different roles. So what they would do is they'd constantly jump on and off stage, grabbing different masks to represent the multitude of characters that they were portraying. Those people were called hypocritas. So when Jesus meets people who say one thing and act another way, he says, do you know who you remind me of? Hippocrates, actors, people who wear a mask, people who claim one thing, but are not living the life that they claim to be portraying. And Jesus had no tolerance for hypocrisy. 
Check out what he says in Matthew 23. He says, outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. So how do you show love to the hypocrites in your life? It might be a family member whose house has Bible verses everywhere and who quotes scripture on social media all the time, but spends more time gossiping than actually reading their Bible. It it could be your boss who proclaims Christ with his or her lips, but then treats his employees horribly and leads his business or her business without integrity. Maybe it's a friend who grew up going to church every single Sunday and their Sunday best, but during the week, they're cheating on their spouse. What is your role in a situation like that? Do we even have a role? How do we respond? What do we do? How do we love those who proclaim one thing, but are living something very different? So let's start by building a foundation. And to do that, I wanna talk through a couple questions. The first question I wanna try to answer is this. Why are they acting this way? If they're portraying one thing and they're living something else, we want to try and discern why. Because why, are they, why they are acting that way helps determine what we do as followers of Jesus. Why are they acting like this? And there could be several answers. The first reason is maybe they don't really know God. Maybe instead of being a hypocrite, they aren't actually following Jesus. In fact, 1 John says this, if someone claims I know God, but doesn't obey God's commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. In other words, just because they go to church, just because they claim to follow Jesus, just because they think that they are, doesn't mean they've ever been spiritually made new. Maybe they just genuinely haven't been transformed by Jesus. So this person is not a hypocrite. This person is someone who needs the grace of Jesus because maybe they simply don't know God. The second reason is maybe they just don't know any better yet. Why are they acting like this? Maybe they're new to the faith and haven't been taught how they're supposed to live. In fact, Paul was dealing with this problem with a church in Corinth. He said this, Dear brothers and sisters, when I was with you, I couldn't talk to you as I would to spiritual people. I had to talk as though you belonged to this world or as though you were infants in Christ. So Paul's saying, you've been forgiven, you've been changed by the grace of Jesus, but you really haven't grown or spiritually matured yet. You're kind of like a baby Christian. This is a person that doesn't need correcting. This is a person that needs instructing because maybe they just don't know any better yet. The third reason is maybe they do know better, but they still disobey God. And these are the people that we're gonna focus on today. This is the hypocrite. Maybe they really do know better, yet they dishonor God in the way that they live. And this is the problem. People who claim to follow Jesus, but then choose not to live in a way that honors God or their relationship with him. 1 Peter 2, 16 says, for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. In other words, don't use the grace of God as some kind of covering for you to live any way that you want. And this is often what happens with people when they, they slip into a spirit of hypocrisy. They might start by saying, it's nobody business, nobody's business anyways. God's gonna forgive me. God's grace covers it. It's not that big of a deal. Who are you to judge? And then over time, they start to rationalize their sin. 
little over a year ago, I was grabbing a drink with a Christian guy and we started to talk about his dating life. And he very boldly told me that his goal was to find girls on Tinder, hook up with them, and then maybe get them to church on Sunday morning, which is not a good idea in case you're wondering. And I told him that. But his response was, it's not hurting anybody, which is debatable. It's not anybody else's business. You don't get to tell me what to do. God's going to forgive me anyway, right? It started out with justification, then moved to rationalization, then pure blown hypocrisy, right? It might be someone who's materialistic and claims just to love nice things, but the truth is they're not generous. There's no sense of responsibility of the way that God has blessed them to be a blessing to others. And they're totally blind to the fact that there's nothing wrong with having nice things, but we need to be agents of generosity to other people to reflect God's generosity toward us. It could be the person who says, I don't have a problem with fill in the blank, anger, criticism, lying. And this is a person who at one point knew better but is now justifying their sin and using God's grace as an excuse. So Peter says, don't do it. Don't use your freedom as an excuse to do what is wrong. So what do we do with people in this third category? Those who have genuinely been changed by Jesus yet continue to willfully disobey God. Is it none of our business? Is it judge not lest ye be judged? Should we be non-confrontational and just pray like crazy? Should we be all up in their business telling them what they should and should not be doing? Should we passively, aggressively post things about them on social media, all the while not actually having the courage to say anything to their face, but hoping they read our subtweet under the article we posted that is clearly about them? Okay, it's definitely not that one. Seriously, you all, please stop doing that. The person you are talking about or posting about online will never read what you posted and think, this is about me. So what do we do? Well, there are three things that we can do to love hypocrites in our lives. And the first two start with prayer and are connected by a single action. So number one, you should write this down. Number one is we're gonna pray, God, help me confront with a heart to restore, right? The heart matters. Your approach matters. Help me confront with a heart to restore. Paul told the Galatians this, dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And what does it mean to restore? It means to bring back or to make whole again. Your heart is to help restore that person back to God's original purpose and to do it gently and humbly. Right? They've wandered away, so you help guide them back. Think about it like this. You are not the judge, you are the guide. You are not the judge declaring what is right and what is wrong. You are the guide gently helping people lead them back to a better way to live, to freedom, to grace, to truth. In other words, your goal is not to be right. Your goal is to help them be right with God, right? I am not the judge, 
I am the guide. And my job is to help those people come back to living the life that they are proclaiming. So we restore gently. Think about Jesus. How did he love people? With grace and truth. There's a story in the Bible about a woman who's caught in adultery and the people who caught her want her to be stoned to death. Now imagine if Jesus was all grace. You don't need to worry about it. Just don't get caught next time. You do you, right? That's not going to work. Now imagine if Jesus is all truth. You broke the rules. They're right for you to be punished. You need to publicly repent of your sin or else. But that's not what he said. In grace, Jesus said, I don't condemn you. And in truth, he said, now go on your way and sin no more. Grace and truth. That's the heart to restore. God, help me to confront with a heart to restore. The second thing you want to write down if you're taking notes is to pray, God, help me to confront carefully. Help me to confront carefully. Let's look back at Galatians 6. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path and be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. It isn't just about guiding them back onto the right path in a gentle and humble way. It's also about you being careful because the moment that we put ourselves in the posture of the one who is correcting, we are more vulnerable to pride. And what do we know about pride? Pride comes before the fall. And for perhaps that is one of the reasons why Paul wrote this. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. So when we do confront, do it carefully because the moment we think that we're better than someone else, the moment we confront out of a prideful place, the moment we confront from a posture of being high and mighty, that is when we become more vulnerable to doing the same thing that we are calling someone else out on. So how do we do this? How do we confront carefully and with a heart to restore? Well, we start with prayer and we already talked about that. But here's the action part of takeaway one and two. Let me give you a really quick lesson on this. You can read about it in Matthew 18 if you're interested, but I'm gonna do a little bit of a short summary. This is about confrontation. And this is essentially what Jesus says. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, you go to them directly. A side note, notice that Jesus makes it very clear that he's talking about other people who are followers of Jesus. In other words, we're not going to confront non-Christians who aren't behaving like Jesus because they aren't Christians, because they shouldn't be acting like Christians. And when they come to church and they don't act and behave like people who follow Jesus, we're not gonna judge them. Rather, we're gonna love them where they are because our goal isn't to change the behavior, but introduce them to the one who will. Christians, it's not our role to be the Holy Spirit, but to let the Spirit draw in people who are far from God. So this, what Jesus is talking about, is written to Christians about Christians. So if another person who follows Jesus sins against you, you go to them directly. Now, let me clarify this a little bit further. In the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, what that means is you don't try to solve the problem on Twitter. 
right? What that means is you don't try to work out a solution in the comments on Facebook. And you have to hear me on this. This is one of the most embarrassing things going on in our society right now. People calling other people out on social media. You go to the person. You go to the person. And then you tell them, this is how you hurt me. This is how I feel like you have gone astray. And Jesus says, if, you, if they listen, you've won them over. You've made progress. You praise God because they've been brought back to the right path. But if they don't listen, Jesus says that you bring in support, right? You bring in one to two other people to help them see that this really is an issue. And the reason you bring in other people isn't to gang up on them, but to make sure that you are actually coming from a place of humility and genuine care. This means that it isn't you versus them. It's you and others with them with the goal to lovingly help point them back toward the truth. And if they still don't listen, you've gone one-on-one, you've brought a few people that are loving and trying to guide them back onto the right path, then you elevate it to some kind of leadership in the church. It might be your team leader or your small group leader. It might be one of the staff members. It might be one of the elders or management team of a church. Either way, you bring in some sort of official leadership. And Jesus says, if you've done all three of these things and they still don't listen, then you need to redefine the relationship, right? He says, you treat them as tax collectors and pagans. And that doesn't mean a whole lot to us right now. But what that means is when someone says that they're following Jesus, but continues to choose to sin and walk out of alignment with what God wants for them and how they live their lives, you tell them, I love you but we're not gonna go out to dinner when you're acting this way. We're not just gonna pretend like everything's fine. We're not gonna act like nothing you're doing is wrong. And you tell them that any moment they want to talk about this, the door is wide open and you will welcome them back. But because you've done those three things in Matthew 18, you cannot continue to believe that way and act that way and be a part of my circle. There's a line that you cannot cross. And that sounds harsh, but it's not harsh, it's loving. And that is how you confront carefully with a heart to restore. It's not get out, it's not you aren't good enough, it's not public shaming, it's step-by-step loving people carefully with a heart to bring restoration. So we pray. God, help us have a heart to restore. God, help us confront carefully. And then we do that biblically by following what Jesus taught in Matthew 18. But here's the third thing that we pray. We pray, God, help me see when I am the hypocrite. You saw that coming, right? You knew we weren't just gonna be talking about those people because sometimes we are those people. God, help me to see when I am the hypocrite. Carrie Newhoff says it like this, it's far easier to call someone else a hypocrite than it is to admit you are one. And because of that, we have to constantly check ourselves and our own hypocrisy. We have to ask God, help me to see when I am the hypocrite. Because the truth is, as much as I hate it and as much as I hate to admit this, I am a hypocrite. My faith in Jesus doesn't always match my behavior. And I've joked about this before, but I'm very serious. This is why we don't have collective bumper stickers. Because when I am driving, 
I am not your pastor. I'm the guy trying to get to my next destination faster than you with you out of my way. And of course, it's, it's actually worse than that. I'm not always a loving husband or a kind father or a patient boss or even a compassionate friend. Right? I'm not perfect. You are not perfect. And the good news is that we aren't expected to be. This isn't a standard that God puts on us. But the reality is that following Jesus is a process and growing in our faith never ends. I am not who I want to be yet, but I'm better than I was before I put my faith in Jesus, right? I am still a work in progress as Jesus continues to work in my life. So I don't wanna pretend to be something or someone I'm not. I wanna be honest about where I fall short and how thankful I am that God's grace is enough and his power is made strong in my weakness. And I want to allow other people to guide me back onto the right path when I have strayed. So I pray, God help me to see when I am the hypocrite. And it's so important that we get this right because if we mess this up, we will push people further away from God. And that's the last thing that we want to do. We want to gently guide people back to restoration. We want to check ourselves. And when we do this the right way, this is what happens. This is what James wrote in James 5. My dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about forgiveness of many sins. This is why we have to get this right. This is why we have to confront with a heart to restore because most hypocritical Christians, not all, but most are simply people who have wandered away from the truth. And as a community of people, we are called to support and care for and pick up one another when we fall down. It is our job to lovingly show them the grace, grace and guide them back to truth. And the reason we do this is because it is at the heart of who Jesus is. Jesus pursues restoration in all of us, and he does so gently. The best way to describe Jesus' heart for lost people, for the people who have wandered away, is the parable of the lost sheep. This is what Jesus said. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus is the shepherd and his desire is that we are found. His desire is to lead us back to safety when we strayed away. His desire isn't punishment. His desire isn't pain, it's restoration and love and grace. And when you are ready to accept those life-changing gifts, we are ready to help you take that step. All you have to do is check the baptism box on your connection card and we will call you this week. And hopefully we will be able to celebrate you in the same way we did Anthony, Patrick, and Earl at our fall worship night. Check this out.
on that confession of faith, and I baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Some of you have wandered away. Maybe you followed Jesus for a long time, but if you were really being honest with yourself, you would say that you're living in a state of hypocrisy where your faith in Jesus doesn't match the way you are living. Jesus isn't mad at you. Jesus isn't longing for a big, I told you so moment. Jesus is simply waiting for you to turn back to him and accept the grace and truth he always offers. So what are you waiting for? Now, some of you have wandered away, but have never realized you were lost until now. Or maybe you knew you were lost, but you didn't really know what to do. Here's what we want you to know. A good shepherd will leave the 99 to go after the one. And you are the one. And Jesus is seeking you out as if you are the only one. And he loves you so much that he will leave the 99 to find you. And the good news is you don't have to earn that love or, or that favor or that grace because it isn't about your goodness. It's about God's. So if you feel lost, if you feel stuck, if you feel hopeless, Jesus wants you to know that real life and real hope and real grace is available through him. He will forgive your sins. He will make you brand new. Let's pray. God, ultimately, um, we pray that you help us see if we're being hypocrites. God, because we want to live a life that honors you. God, we want to live a life that brings people to you, not pushes them away. God, we want to live a life that brings hope and peace and joy and grace and forgiveness into this world. But God, sometimes we wander away. God, sometimes our faith in you doesn't match our actions. God, so we pray that today isn't necessarily about them, but it's about us. It's about those who follow Jesus saying, I need to check myself and see how I'm living. And God, if we've wandered away, help us wander back to the right path. Give us people, put a community in our life that want to walk with us gently and humbly. God, I pray for every person listening who isn't a follower of Jesus um, that maybe one of the reasons why they're hesitant is because of hypocritical Christians. God, my prayer is that they know that God loves hypocrites just as much as he loves everybody else, but he also wants those people to move back to him. And for everybody who doesn't follow Jesus, who's listening, God, I pray today is the day they realize that maybe they've wandered away. Maybe they're so far away, God, that they don't even see you or feel you or even believe that you exist anymore. And today can be a day where they take steps back toward you back toward grace, back toward life, back toward things that are so much better than what this world has to offer. God, thank you um, that you push us to be better. God, thank you that you want our actions to show our faith. God, help us be better at that as individuals, as, as a church, as people who follow you, God. But God, ultimately, we're just so thankful that you offer us grace and truth. And that's what we get to pursue. God, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen.